When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Mid-American Bandwagon Podcast, episode 66, coming to you here live this week. Uh, week four recap, week five preview here on the, this fine October day here. Uh, Zach Follador, as always, joined by my co-host, Steve Helwick, down in Texas. Steve, how you doing, man? I'm doing excellent, and we're all, all in full swing of Mac play this week. Six games. All 12 teams are in action against each other, and we're in the full swing again. And it's Western Michigan Ball State Week. Who can not love Western Michigan Ball State Week, considering what we had last year in that game? So, yes, exciting time in October. The weather's getting more football weather-like, so that's always good. Yes, I, I walked out. Uh, I walked out of my door this morning, and it was like it was like 65 degrees and cloudy, and you could just like smell football in the air. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, so it's it's a great time of year. Some great games on the slate this weekend, both in the MAC and outside of the MAC. Uh, I know you got a heck of a weekend planned for yourself, which we'll we'll talk about that a little bit more here in a little bit. But uh, let's start with our um, do a quick here week five recap here, Steve. I'll turn it over to you. Let you have the floor first. Uh, performance of the week, team or individual? What did you see you like this week from the MAC? You know who deserves some love for us for once? Ball State. I counted Ball State out. I thought they were done. I thought this team was just a shell of what we saw in 2020. And to go have an host an Army team that was undefeated and shellacking opponents, they, Army hadn't even won a – like they won three of their four games by convincing fashion. I think they had a plus 90-point differential entering that Ball State game. And for Ball State to take that opening kickoff to the house, Justin Hall, return it 99 yards, and have their foot on the gas the entire first quarter to put away Army – was a very impressive performance by me. And I really have to give a shout out to Johannes Tyler. Johannes Tyler was somebody who was absent from Ball State's offense the entire year. They weren't getting him involved. He didn't have more than 32 yards or four catches in a game this year. And he goes against Army and he gets 85 yards and a really nice touchdown basically to seal that game. So Johannes Tyler really helped Ball State bolster its passing offense and the Cardinals get the signature win that they needed to get themselves comfortable back into Mac play. Now they're two and three and now a Mac West title. If they can, if they can upset Western Michigan a Mac West title repeat doesn't seem off the table. If this team has a swagger back. Totally agree with that. I think it was a completely different team that we saw this week versus the first four weeks of the season, especially you mentioned Justin tone setting the, the, or just Justin tone, Justin Hall setting the tone early. I was especially impressed with this defense as well, how well they defended this army triple option, obviously army without their starting quarterback, but neither here nor there. I mean, holding army to 213 yards on 61 rushing attempts, only three and a half yards per attempt for the black Knights well below their season average. So I agree. Uh, I agree, Steve, I'm right there with you. I had, I had written ball state off. I had said here on the podcast last week, I don't even see this team getting back to 500. I'm going to have to retract that statement. Now. I think they've, they've certainly seemed to have figured some things out. One caveat I would say 
their their offense started fast after the first quarter it was a little up and down for the Cardinals, but still, nonetheless, a, a much better performance uh, for the Cardinals this week than we have seen through the first month. Uh, for my performance of the week, uh, I'm going to go actually with with an individual here. I'm going to go with Armani Rogers from Ohio. You know, Ohio obviously much maligned here to start the year. Still had somewhat high expectations coming into the season. Uh, obviously an 0-4 start has kind of changed that very quickly. It was 17-17 they're playing, you know, going into the fourth quarter here against Akron last week. And, um, you know, in the, in the, actually I should say Ohio was down 17-10 to in the third quarter of that game whenever uh, Tim Albin opted to uh, make Armani the kind of the primary quarterback, if you will, for the rest of the game. Rodgers uh, really took over the game. They, Ohio really went purely ground game from that point on. They only threw three passes after that point. Armani Rogers, though, finished 14 carries, 106 yards, and two rushing touchdowns there in the fourth quarter of that game. And uh, Steve, if there was one team in this conference other than Ball State that really needed a win, it was Ohio. And honestly, they probably needed a win even more than Ball State did with the way they've started the season. And, you know, they've had injuries. They've had inconsistency on offense. They really haven't been able to get off the mat in any of their games thus far this year. And for a while, there it looked like they might lose this game to Akron but Armani Rogers getting inserted into the quarterback and them kind of shifting almost solely to the ground game with him O'Shawn Allison Demontre Tuggle had a late touchdown as well I really liked what I saw from Ohio's offense after he came into the game it seems like they might have found their identity a little bit there now Obviously, they were they were playing Akron, who is is still struggling despite some improvements this year. But I really liked what I saw from Armani Rogers, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him get a little bit more opportunity here moving forward. Let's talk about uh, at the other side here. Uh, look at our you know the disappointments of the week. Couple underwhelming performances here. Uh, what do you think, Steve? Where where, where are you looking to see uh, improvement, or what, or what was kind of concerning to you in, uh, in a week five in the MAC? I'm going to go ahead with Bowling Green's rushing offense again. I thought if they were going to figure it out, it was eventually going to be against a Kent State team that they ran all over in the previous year. But Bowling Green still averaged 2.1 yards per carry, and they had 60 yards as their leading rusher in this game. Bowling Green did take a lot of sacks, which definitely dampened those numbers. But still, the fact that Bowling Green hasn't had a runner attain more than 60 yards against an FBS team this year, and they haven't averaged three yards a carry in a single game, that includes their game against Murray State, is really concerning to me because I don't know when Bowling Green's ever going to figure out this rushing offense. And are they just going to go full Mike Leach air raid now and replace the run game with Dink and Dunk? I don't know. That might actually work better for Bowling Green. But this was a strength of the team last year. That winless team, they could still run the ball with Terry and Stewart. And this year, Bowling Green just isn't getting anything at the line of scrimmage and teams are stopping them at the first level. And they're wasting 20, 25 plays a game just by running the ball. And Bowling Green can't afford to lose those 25 plays a game when their offense is producing at the low level it is right now. Bowling Green has an excellent defense. I mean, they held Dustin Crum, a very accurate quarterback, to about 50% completion percentage. They made some things tough for Kent State. They held that Kent State explosive offense to 27 points, but Bowling Green really needs to establish an offense and a running game can go a long way for this Falcons program. I, c- I couldn't agree more. And if, if you would have told me at the beginning of the year that Bowling Green would have been this improved 
I wouldn't have believed you. And if you would have told me that they would have been this improved off the strength of their defense, I definitely wouldn't (laughs) have believed you. You know what I mean? Like this is a team that's been a disaster on defense for half of a decade. And you look now second in the, in the Mac in points per game, third in yards allowed third in sacks. But then you look offensively at the, at the, you know, the, the, the numbers on offense are not good for Bowling Green. I mean, this is the completely opposite of what we're used to uh, from the Falcons. Think about this, Steve. Five games into the season, Ball State is 11th in the MAC in rushing yards per game at 112.2. Bowling Green's the only team behind them, and they're averaging 47.2 yards per game. They have Ball State had doubled them. It has, it has more than twice the rushing yards per game that Bowling Green does. So, yeah, I agree with you, Steve, because um, as, as much as Matt McDonald has improved, I don't think they have the talent on offense uh, to, to be able to throw the ball, you know, 50 or 60 times a game and be successful. I'm not saying that they can't get to that point eventually, maybe, but I, I do. You're right. You're absolutely. There's got to be some semblance of offense there uh, or some semblance of balance on offense for Bowling Green. Um, I'm going to go my, my disappointment of the week. It's this uh, Steve, this central Michigan pass defense is a problem. It's a real big problem. You look at Miami last week, Brett Gabbert gets hurt. Uh, in the, at the end of the first half. But Brett Gabbert and A.J. Mayer combined last week uh, for uh, Miami, 25 of 38, 350 yards, four touchdowns and an interception. Brett Gabbert, 12 for 20 and two touchdowns in the first half. He goes out after that, and you think, okay, A.J. Mayer's coming in. Always been a little bit more of a, of a change of pace guy, has a little bit more of you know athleticism to him, can run the ball. You think maybe they'll slow down the pass game in the second half. A.J. Mayer comes in, 13 for 18, 179 yards and two touchdowns of his own. Mack Hippenhammer had eight catches for 170 yards in this game. Jack Sorensen with two touchdowns. And I, you know, I some of the things I see from Central Michigan's offense, Steve, I really like. I mean, they they themselves threw the ball for 378 yards in this game. Daniel Richardson did unfortunately get hurt, but Jacob Sermon came in and uh, he was seven for eight for 52 yards. So I like a lot of the things I see from this Central Michigan offense. But if they can't figure things out defensively, I don't know how much success they're going to have in the conference this year. You know, coming into this past week in our in our hustle ball power rankings, I actually had them up at third. I felt really good about what they were. Doing, especially with Daniel uh, Richardson taking over at quarterback here, they're first in the MAC in yards per game on offense at at uh, at 460 yards per game. That's 30 more yards per game than uh, than what Kent State has given us, who's in second place. But this defense right now, especially passing the ball, is just in a really bad way. Currently last in the MAC in pass defense at 283 pass yards per game. They got to figure something out in the secondary, Steve, or else I don't know how much success they're going to have the rest of the way. No matter what kind of production their offense is going to give them. I think that based on the last week alone, there's no team that stock plummeted more for me than Central Michigan. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that Mizzou got boat raced at home against Tennessee. So now when I look at that Central Michigan-Mizzou result on week one, the Central Michigan played a pretty promising game there. I don't think that Eli Drinkwitz team in Columbia is really that impressive right now. And Central Michigan had to come back to even make that FIU game competitive and win that one. So I don't really see an impressive mark in central Michigan's entire resume this year. And I thought that was a win that should have had even on the road in Miami. So now I'm thinking, I mean, the Mac, the Mac West is pretty, it's pretty, there's a lot of parody in the conference in that division. Yeah. And I wouldn't be shocked if central Michigan's the worst team in there. 
you know, I, I was honestly thinking that same thing the other day. I, I was thinking to myself, like, man, Central Michigan and Northern Illinois or Central Michigan and Eastern Michigan on a neutral field right now. I don't think I'm taking the Chippewas in either one of those matchups with what I've seen. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. It's, uh, it's been disappointing, to say the least. Obviously, injuries have played a part in that. But still, nonetheless, uh, not, not, not many encouraging signs on the defensive side of the ball coming out of Mount Pleasant right now if you're a Chippewas fan. Uh, just to give you a quick rundown of, of all the scores from this past week. So Toledo uh, finished up their non-conference schedule. They went up to Amherst and uh, beat their old uh, UMass or our old conference uh, mates, UMass, the Minutemen, in a tough way right now. Toledo 45-7 in that one. The aforementioned Ball State victory over Army 28-16. Western Michigan with a tough, uh, hard-earned victory at Buffalo 24-17. Western Michigan looking really good right now. Northern Illinois jumped out to a 17-0 lead over Eastern Michigan. Eastern Michigan battled back a little bit, but the Huskies ultimately pulled that one out in DeKalb, 27-20. Miami, as we mentioned, did uh, run away from Central Michigan, 28-17 in Oxford. Ohio pulled away from Akron in the the fourth quarter, 34-17. And Kent State uh, came from behind against Bowling Green, scored two fourth-quarter touchdowns to take a 27-20 victory from the Falcons. So, as you said, Steve, at the top of the episode here, we're in the Mac play here fully. All six games this week, Mac games. Uh, everyone's on an evil, even playing field now. Everyone's played. Uh, we got one Mac game across the board under the belt, and uh, now this is we're gonna we're gonna start to see some real separation here uh, between these two these teams. So uh, let's let's jump right into it here, Steve. Uh, Northern Illinois, uh, we mentioned, you know, they, they had a nice victory over Eastern Michigan this past Saturday. That game was uh, hampered by a three-hour rain delay, but the Huskies were able to, to come back out after that. And uh, defense played really well, a couple interceptions, a couple turnovers that they got off of the, uh, off of the Eagles. Uh, they are a 12-and-a-half-point underdog traveling to the Glass Bowl to take on Toledo, who coming off of that uh, 45-7 drubbing of the, uh, the UMass Minutemen. Steve, this is an interesting one to me. Northern Illinois – they look like a legitimately good team right now. And um, Toledo, obviously, they've had some ups and downs, but offensively, they looked very good against UMass last week, although most teams do. Uh, how, how, do you, how do you see this one playing out? The, the spread's kind of funny to me. Right now, in my 130 rankings, I have Northern Illinois 55, and a lot of that's due to the win over Georgia Tech that beat North Carolina. Wow, I have Toledo 99th, who got boat raced by a Colorado State team that lost to an FCS team by double digits. So it's an interesting dynamic there. Do I think that Toledo probably has more firepower going into this game? Yes. And the Rockets have, they've worked the two quarterback system pretty well. I think in the past few weeks with Carter Bradley as their passing quarterback and Daquan Finn is their top playmaker. He's more of a wildcat quarterback who goes off for long runs. I think he's had three or four touchdowns this year of 24 yards or longer on the ground. So Finn has been pretty great in that area. And last week he had a 47 rushing yard performance to follow up a 106 rushing yard performance. So he's basically getting 10 yards a pop in these runs. So Finn really makes Toledo's offense a little versatile and Bradley he's kind of felt like he doesn't have to carry a big load on his shoulders. He's only thrown 18 times in each of the last two games. And I feel like Toledo's discovered that their strength, lies within the run game more. And we yeah. saw some of that against UMass with Bryant Kobach dominating the game with I think over 80 yards and two touchdowns on the first half alone. So Toledo 
should be in good shape on the ground. And NIU is also a very ground-based team. Harrison Whaley got nicked up last Saturday, and he is listed on the depth chart for this upcoming game against Toledo. There were rumors that he could be out a little longer, but it looks like Whaley should be good to go. If not, they had a breakout player that had never gotten a handoff before Eastern Michigan's game who had 100 yards, and that's Ontario Brown. He is a true freshman running back who committed to NIU last December from Savannah, Georgia, and he had 16 carries and 101 yards last game. So when you have Brown, Whaley, and Clint Rakovich, who's had a pretty good season too in that backfield, I really like what NIU's done with their running game too. So I think this game's going to hit around the three-hour mark with the way these teams run the ball. I don't (laughs) think you're going to see too much passing. I, I wouldn't expect more than 25 attempts really from either team. And I think this is going to be a pretty close one. And I do like NIU to cover this one kind of seems like it might be a low scoring game just because I like the way both of these defenses have played recently. I know NIU had those early tough games against Wyoming and Michigan, but they've really seemed to short up the defense since. And you could see that against Eastern Michigan too, getting in the backfield for five sacks, forcing that pick six which put them up 17-0 in the second quarter. And I think that NIU, if they can control Toledo with their front seven like Colorado State did, I think the Huskies could pull off the upset in this one. Yeah, I I agree with the first thing you said about the spread in this one being funny. And, you know, whenever – I, you know, I tweeted out earlier in the week that, you know, the opening lines and I thought that 11 points was too much for to be given the Huskies in this game. And apparently the public disagrees with me because they bet it up to 12 and a half, which just seems absurd to me. I I, I can't see that. Here's here's the thing. Part of the reason I, I think Northern Illinois keeps this game close is much of what you said, Steve. I think both of these teams have discovered that running the ball is their best path to success on offense. You mentioned uh, Carter Bradley. For Toledo, if you look on the other side with Rocky Lombardi, he's only thrown more than uh, 20 passes in two games this year. And, and, uh, you know, that was one of those was against Maine. The other one was that 50 to 43 game against Wyoming in week two, which he threw three interceptions in that game. So I think the the Huskies have discovered that the kind of the run game is is their path to success. And I think Toledo is trending that way as well as as you mentioned, I think the. The reason I, I'm not, I didn't go so far as to pick Northern Illinois in this game, but I like them defensively a little bit more. I mean, last, last week against, uh, against Eastern Michigan held the Eagles 24 carries for 38 rush yards. As you mentioned, five sacks in that game as well. I think this, uh, the, the, the front seven for the Huskies right now playing really, really well. I like what I'm seeing from Jordan Hanson. I like what, see, I like what I'm seeing from, uh, from Dylan Thomas there for the Huskies. Um, on the, uh, you know, there's, there's some, some strong play in the secondary as well. I mentioned, you know, they had the, the pick six against Ben Bryant last week. So um, I, I really like what I'm seeing from Northern Illinois. Northern Illinois, to me, as much as any team in the conference is, is trending up quickly here. And I really like what I've seen. I think the last year, the, the approach they took with having all of those young guys, all of those freshmen getting, getting reps last year, I think that's really starting to pay off for coach hammock and, and the Huskies there. So I'm, I'm with you. I think this is a one score game. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I keep going back and forth. I think I'm still going to pick Toledo, but I, I see this as a one score game. And I think this is going to be a good one. I, I agree with you. I think the double digit spread way too much on this one. I am. Uh, I I'm curious to see 
if uh, Ontario Brown's going to be able to follow up that 100-yard performance. Obviously, coming in without any tape on him or ha- without Eastern Michigan having any time to prepare for him, uh, we'll see if he can follow up that performance. I'd also hope that Harrison Whaley can be back as well because he's one of my favorite players to watch in the conference. And even before he got hurt last week, 13 carries for 87 yards, almost seven yards a carry for Harrison. So um, the, uh, the Huskies, again, a 12.5-point underdog going to the Glass Bowl taking on uh, Toledo on Saturday at noon. Uh, also Saturday at noon, uh, just down the road in Bowling Green, the, uh, the Falcons taking on Akron uh, at noon at Doyd Perry Stadium. Bowling Green, a 14.5 point favorite in this one, 46.5 your total. And uh, Steve, obviously these were the two teams kind of picked at the bottom of the conference this year. Bowling Green has really, really impressed us. Akron has had some moments, but I think last week for the Zips, a huge setback, obviously, a game that a lot of people thought they might be able to win with Ohio struggling so much. But I think that we I think we saw last week that Akron still might be a little bit further away than we thought, even though they have some good young pieces. Yes, and if Bowling Green's going to figure out their run defense, this is going to be the week that they do it because Akron's run defense was atrocious against Ohio. The Bobcats last week put up 398 yards and three touchdowns at 8.5 average on the zips. And Akron, they they really can't stop a parked car with the way they've been playing. They have had two, so let me see, so far this season in the FBS, there have been one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games with a 50-point margin of defeat, and Akron is responsible for two of those. (laughs) They lost by 52 to Ohio State and 50 to Auburn. Those are great opponents, and Bowling Green, I don't know if it's capable of putting up 50 points with the way their offense is right now, but I don't see Bowling Green having much trouble stopping Akron's offense because Akron really couldn't get anything going in the second half a week ago against Ohio. And Bowling Green's defense, I thought they played pretty well against Kent State. Yes, they lost the game, but I said they they forced Dustin Crum into a lot of tough positions while they didn't sack him. This Bowling Green secondary is really causing teams to lose their grip. If you look at the stats this year, almost every single team that has faced Bowling Green, I think South Alabama's alone exception, has passed below their season average on them. And a lot of them are significant differences. And Bowling Green has only allowed one passing touchdown this year, and they forced five interceptions. Quarterbacks are losing it. Every time they face this Bowling Green secondary, Devon Ferguson and Jordan Anderson from the safety spot have done a great job at pass coverage for this team. And I think this Bowling Green team's really good in man-to-man. I don't think DJ Irons, who is a very accurate quarterback, I don't know if he's going to be able to sustain his normal efficiency on this Bowling Green defense. And meanwhile, I think Matt McDonald is going to pick apart this Akron defense and Akron defense, which allows the fourth highest completion percentage in college football. So there's going to be a lot of open throws in this game for McDonald. And if he can just connect on his out routes and slants, I think Bowling Green's offense is going to pick them apart. And last year, this was the game that Akron snapped their 21 game losing streak. They they crushed Bowling Green 31 to three, but the, the tables have turned completely in a year and Bowling Green is a considerable favorite and should be the considerable favorite in this one. Yeah, that's a heck of a stat you just threw out there. So what was it, Akron's fourth highest completion percentage they're allowing on defense in the NCAA? Is that what it was? Yes, teams complete wow. 72.4% of passes on them. 
Wow. Yeah. And, and that, that's a heck of a stat. And the thing that I was going to say, you know, watching, I didn't get to see the Akron Ohio game live, but I did watch it back. The thing that's really concerning for me about Akron on defense, missed tackles, missed assignments, you know, blown coverages. And you mentioned, you know, Bowling Green loving the, the underneath stuff and, and throwing those short slants and those screen passes, Tyrone Broden, Christian Sims, Austin Osborne, they love catching those underneath passes. Whenever a team is operating like that on offense, you got to keep the ball carrier in front of you and you got to be sound tacklers. You let one of those guys break a tackle, he can turn a five yard gain into a 50 yard gain real fast. And that seems to be a problem that Akron is having right now, just simply executing simple things like that on defense. And then, you know, that shows up in the stats. You mentioned there the, the, the completion percentage stat. I mean, Akron right now, last in the Mac in total defense, 11th against the pass, 11th against the rush fourth, or I'm sorry, last in, in points per game, you know, they're giving up over 40 points a game, over 450 yards per game. Uh, there's really not much to like on this defense right now. Obviously Bubba Arslanian continues to, to be a stalwart there in the middle, but outside of that, there's not a lot you see on here that you really like. And you mentioned DJ, irons i mean this is a guy that's completing 70 almost 70 percent of his passes right now 69 percent. but you make a great point steve and i think you know you, you talked about bowling green's performance defensively last week their their secondary is very good but the thing about their defense that is so impressive to me is that even when the secondary has a breakdown quarterbacks have no time to throw against this front seven there was two instances in that game where Dustin Crum had a wide receiver open down the field and simply overthrew him because he didn't have time to, to get his feet set and, and didn't have time to make an accurate throw. I believe there was one was uh, there was one that Nikeen Johnson. The other one I believe was the sh- to uh, to Deshaun Polk, uh, where you know they had a touchdown available there, but the, you know the the linebacker the blitz got home. Dustin Crum didn't have time to really uh, you know make, get an accurate throw out as as he would have liked to. Um, I'm with you though. I think I would like to see. Uh, I'd like to see Jason Patterson from Bowling Green get going in this game. He seems to be, uh, you know, their 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 best back th- so far this year. And even at that, he's only averaging three yards a carry. Uh, but he had himself, he did have a nice game last week for himself, 12 carries, 60 yards. You'd like to think that they maybe expand his role a little bit this week and try and get him going a little bit more so that Matt McDonald doesn't have to throw the ball 45 times again. Um, curious to get your perspective on, on this, Steve, you know, we, we talked about these two teams, you know, we've been talking about them all year at the beginning of the year. Um, we mentioned the, the coaching situation about how both these teams need to show us some progress this year. Bowling green, I think has answered that question. I think Scott Leffler's done enough where a lot of Bowling green fans are going to feel confident and, and he's going to at least get another year to see what happens. Tom Arth on the other hand, I think through the first month, we saw some encouraging signs, but last week I think was a very deflating defeat to Zips fans, and I don't see another wi- another clear-cut victory on their schedule the rest of the way. Akron finishes this season 1-11. and Do you see Tom Arth coming back? Do you see him getting another year next year? Yes, because he's – what, next year would be his fourth season already. Wow, that, time flies. I know. Uh, but I, I think that would, this is such a difficult rebuilding job. And I'm impressed that Bowling Green was able to make the turnaround they did. And their turnaround had to do with, I think, a defensive coordinator change. So yeah. maybe it's not the head coaching change that you really have to look at. And it's more of some of the positional coaches because Bowling Green was really able to establish themselves as a defensive identity this year and has worked wonders for them. And it's not a fluke because Bowling Green's doing this every single week, ever since the Tennessee game. Uh, they've only allowed just a few touchdowns since that 
since that loss to Tennessee. And Akron, Akron looked good. They start games strong. That's the thing yeah. about Akron this year was they were up 17 to 10 in this Ohio game against Temple this year, a Temple team, which I'm gaining a lot of stock in because Temple came back down 17 to beat Memphis last week. Shout out former NIU coach Rod Carey for yeah. rebuilding Temple this season. But Akron was up 14 to zero on Temple. They were up seven to zero on Ohio State. This Akron team has come out pretty hot swinging early. And then it seems like they use up all their energy in the first few minutes of the game. And the defense just gets pounded afterward. So Akron, they, they make the splash at the beginning of the, each game, but they haven't been able to sustain that momentum throughout the game. I do think that DJ Irons is the right guy for quarterback, but I need to see other skill position players in this offense step up. I need to see a running back go out and get 100 yards like we saw Ontario Brown do for Northern Illinois. Just a, a freshman or someone, someone just take that number one running back spot or same thing as wide receiver, just somebody go out and have a hundred yard game and get a lot of yards after catch and dominate defenses. That's the type of progress I want to see from Akron because I think Akron is closer offensively now than they are defensively. So Bowling Green is more of a defensive team than offense. I think Akron's offense is closer to hitting their stride than the other way around. So especially when you have a quarterback like DJ iron showing the promise he's showing right now. So I, I just want to see more from their skill position players later this season. I don't know if Akron wins another game, they might finish one in 11, but if there's some progress shown, if they can get some games close, then I, I'll feel more confident about Tom Arth and his tenure going on longer. Yeah, I hear you there. And I, I do love what I'm seeing from DJ irons, 14 of 17, 175 yards and two touchdowns for him last week against the Zips. Uh, next game here on the docket, we got uh, another interesting one here. Miami traveling up to Ypsilanti, taking on the Eastern Michigan Eagles. Eastern Michigan, a one-and-a-half-point home underdog in this one. Uh, total in this one, 57-and-a-half. Uh, Steve, this one, to me, this feels like a lot of points in this game. I, I like what I'm seeing from both offenses right now. The, the defense is both. I mean, I guess Miami had a decent def- defensive performance uh, this past week, but I like what I saw on offensively. I guess there's, there's a little bit of a question at quarterback for, for the Red Hawks. We'll see if, uh, if Gabbard's able to come back. But even if he doesn't, A.J. Mayer looked good. Uh, Eastern Michigan obviously got off to a very slow start against Northern Illinois last week, going down 17 nothing before battling back. Uh, what do you think about this one? Obviously, like I said, Miami, a favorite on the road against Eastern Michigan. Do you think that's justified? This is a, this is such a close game and I still haven't decided my final pick for it yet. Right now I'm leaning toward Eastern Michigan. I think we're going to see a lot of passing in this game though. I feel like Ben Bryant and whether Gabbert or Mayer is behind center for Miami, we're going to see each of those quarterbacks sniff 40 passes in this game and we won't see too much in the run game because I like a lot of the talent. Both of these teams had a receiver go out for over 160 yards last week. Hassan Beydoun with 167 on NIU and Matt Kippenhammer with 170 against Central Michigan. And there's a lot of talent if just looking across these teams receiving cores with Eastern Michigan has Dylan Drummond and Zach Westmoreland who've both played pretty well this year. And Miami has Jack Sorensen who I think is an absolute superstar and has the strongest hands in the back. Had two touchdowns last week on Central Michigan and their receiving core is pretty well built throughout. So I think this game's going to be pretty air heavy. And yes, I do think that there. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
for your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. If out of all the Mac games this week, this should probably be my highest scoring one, I would say, is Eastern Michigan versus Miami. And the difference in this one, I think, I mean, this how a lot of Mac games come is what kind of pressure can they apply? Because Eastern Michigan could not apply pressure to Northern Illinois' backfield last week. And they let Northern Illinois run wild, and NIU didn't really have to pass in that game. So Miami, meanwhile, I think they attack with a pretty stellar front seven. Ivan Pace is a great outside linebacker, good pass rusher there. Then Lonnie Phelps and Cameron Butler cause a lot of havoc around the line of scrimmage. So if Miami can win around the line of scrimmage and make Eastern Michigan more one-dimensional than Miami is, then I think the Red Hawks can win. I think I think that is the X factor. Which team can make the other even more one-dimensional than they already are? And that's going to be the deciding factor in this one. Yeah, I think I think that's a great point. And I think, you know what, if we're if we're talking about being one-dimensional, um, or or the or you know, or I should say being more balanced on offense, I think I I would be more willing to bet money that Miami is going to figure that out before I think Eastern Michigan might figure that out. I only say that because you look at the running backs from Miami, obviously uh, Keon Mosey has, has, has had some nice performances this year. You saw Jalen Bester and Tyree Shelton both come into the backfield for the first time this past week. Obviously they, neither of them had great games. Jalen Bester, five carries, 16 yards, Tyree Shelton, uh, seven carries for 23 yards. So both of them barely getting three yards a carry, but these are guys that are coming off of missing an entire year, year and a half, almost because of injury. Both had really solid seasons back in 2019. So I would only say that because, you know, I, I feel like I like the running backs more for the Red Hawks than I do for the Eagles. And then also you look at the defensive stats right now. I mean, Eastern Michigan uh, currently 10th in the MAC in rushing defense, one of only three teams in the conference given up 200 yards or more on the game on the, on the ground per game. Um, now on the other side of the ball, if you're even if you're not going to make Eastern Michigan, you're, you're even if you're going to make Eastern Michigan one dimensional. I love this passing attack. I love what I'm seeing from Ben Bryant right now. He's cur- quietly he is third in the MAC in passing yards, a uh, thousand thirteen yards, six touchdowns, one interception on the year, almost sixty six percent completion. This is a guy I've I've said before. I didn't, I didn't even, I mean, I expected him to be at most a, a, a change of pace, right? I really thought Preston Hutchinson was going to be the guy for Eastern Michigan this year, but Ben Bryant's really come in and kind of taken this job uh, and, and, and really made it his own and really performed well. I mean, 27 of 40 last week, even though he did throw that one pick six, you know, still had 338 yards and two touchdowns in this game. And um, you know, the, the, the running game for Eastern Michigan for me though, is just uh, it seems it's it, it's a little bit of a problem for me right now. I, I don't love what I'm seeing uh, from the Eagles uh, on the ground, and you know, like I mentioned last week uh, against the uh, against the Huskies, 24 carries, 38 yards. The uh, I don't know. There's there's just a, doesn't seem to be a lot working for uh, the Eagles on the ground right now, averaging 140 yards a game, not even four yards a carry. So um, I, I I'm with you. 
Um, I, I think this is going to be a, a, a close one. I, I, I know you said you were leaning Eastern Michigan. I think I'm leaning Miami in this one. I really liked what I saw from the Red Hawks against Central Michigan this past Saturday. But uh, it's as the spread would indicate, it's a coin flip game. So uh, that's that's uh, you know that's why they play the game on the field. We'll we'll find out soon enough. And that one kicks Saturday at 3:30 on the gray turf up there in Ypsilanti. Uh, also at uh, 3:30, moving across the state to Kalamazoo. Uh, you mentioned it in the in the in the uh, introduction, Steve. Maybe the most intriguing game of the weekend in the MAC. Ball State coming off that big victory over Army this past Saturday. They travel up to Kalamazoo to take on Western Michigan. Western Michigan, the hottest team in the MAC right now. They're four and one, coming off of three straight really nice victories. Currently, the Broncos a ten and a half point favorite in this one. Fifty-seven and a half your total, and Steve. Um, 10 and a half points here. Same thing we said in the Toledo Northern Illinois game with what we saw last week from ball state. I feel like a a double digit spread here feels like too much for me, even though as good as Western Michigan's been playing, they had to grind out a victory against Buffalo this past Saturday. This feels like another game that's going to come down to the wire. What do you think? No, (laughs) no. Uh, I, I think Western Michigan is miles ahead of ball state right now. Okay. And Western Michigan is the premier team in the MAC. They're going to get every team's best game. I think they have the target on their back right now. They have four AP votes. They beat Pitt. Their only loss is to a Michigan team that's justifiably ranked in the top 10. And Caleb Ellaby has been so efficient this year. No quarterback in the FBS has more passing attempts without throwing a single interception than Caleb Ellaby. He's a perfect nine touchdowns and zero interceptions this year, completing 63% of attempts. He's And this is who Caleb Ellaby is. Last year, he had 18 touchdowns and two interceptions on the same number of attempts. He had more yardage, although quick slants to Dwayne Eskridge were producing a lot of that. And he doesn't have the luxury of Eskridge on the offense anymore. But do you know who he does have? Sky Moore. And Sky Moore took over that Buffalo game last week when Western Michigan's run game wasn't really getting as much going. And Moore opened up the offense, had 163 yards on 11 catches and two Western Michigan's touchdowns in that game. And then once more got going, then the run game started going. Then Ladarius Jefferson and Sean Tyler were running, not even get, hitting contact for the first six yards in their carries. And the offensive line was doing a pretty good job of protecting LB, I thought, and protecting the run game. And Western Michigan was able to, to cruise to that victory in the fourth quarter. I know Buffalo got a garbage time touchdown to make it appear closer than it was. But Western Michigan took over the fourth quarter. And really, their offense was clicking the entire time they just weren't finishing drives they had passed the first three and out of the game they had western michigan had eight possessions and all eight possessions got inside the buffalo 30 the only problem was two of those were missed field goals and two of those resulted in turnover on downs this offense can move on teams and they're going to have more success moving on ball state than they did buffalo i mean we saw what wyoming did to ball state we saw what other teams were able to do earlier this season to the Cardinals, even FCS Western Illinois was able to throw for three over 300 yards on them. So I don't think Western Michigan's offense is going to have faced the similar problems and finishing drives that they had against Buffalo. And I think they'll be able to win this one pretty comfortably. Ball state made progress last week against army. They, they aired it out more because army has a really good, has a really good linebacking court stopping the run. So Ball State figured that out. They got Justin Hall involved. But then again, when you look at it, Ball State's offense really stalled after the first quarter in that game. And I don't know if I can get four consistent quarters out of Ball State's offense to match what Western Michigan has. 
Totally valid points. Totally valid points. And I agree with that last point you made, especially that Ball State started fast in that game. They got the kickoff return. They got the long touchdown pass to Jay Sean Jackson. And then after mm-hmm. that, kind of sputtered out a little bit. Here's this is to me the the matchup that is going to decide this game is going to be the Ball State offensive line versus the Western Michigan front seven. That that's where this game is going to be determined. Western Michigan first in the Mac right now and uh, with uh, 16 sacks, they have been relentlessly getting to the quarterback, Ali Fayad, Ralph Hawley on that defensive line. Obviously ball state, they've had struggles protecting Drew Plitt. He's been sacked there. They've, they've given up 13 sacks this year. Here's, here's the thing though, is that when this season Whenever Western Michigan has not been successful getting to the quarterback, they have had problems. They have been they have been a bit susceptible to the big play. They've given up. I, I, I can't remember off the top of my head. I believe they've given up five passing touchdowns of over 30 yards this year. Drew Plitt has three passing touchdowns over 40 yards this year, one of them from Jay Sean Jackson. So I say all of that to say if the Ball State offensive line can give Drew Plitt time to throw – I do think Ball State has the players on the outside at the skill positions to take advantage of this Western Michigan secondary. Now, I said if Ball State can give Drew Plitt time to throw, I fully admit and understand that that's a big if. That is a big if against this Western Michigan front seven. So I, um, I'm not here saying that Ball State wins this game. I do think their offense figured things out a little bit next or a little bit last week, although you talk about being one-dimensional. They, they can't run the ball right now. Carson – uh, Carson Steele has had some moments, but there there's really no run game from the ball state offense. I'm curious as if they'll get a little bit more creative with Justin Hall in this one and get him involved with some more, uh, you know, jet sweeps and stuff like that. I'm, I'm uh, obviously the other thing I think that Western Michigan has going for them. I'm sure they'll not that this is a huge factor or anything, but they don't have, they haven't forgotten that game last year in Muncie where they had the chance to go to Detroit. Obviously that last play of that game was, uh, was absurd. Seven laterals. One of them was determined to be a forward pass. If that doesn't happen, Western Michigan wins that game. I mean, that, they dominated that game for three quarters. So I'm, as I'm saying this now, I'm talking myself a little bit out of, of, of my original statement of, of saying this is a close game. I just, I, um, I don't know. I, it, 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 it seems like, mentally ball state got off the mat a little bit last week. Uh, I, I do, I do agree with everything you said though. I think Western Michigan talent wise and, and um, you know, momentum wise miles ahead of the Cardinals right now, it's going to be an interesting one. As you said earlier that uh, you know, when you gave ball state props in the intro that uh, you know, if they win this game, a, a Mac West title is not off of the table. Obviously they would need some help because they lost to uh, to Toledo already. So are certainly a big game here for the rest of the season kind of will determine how the course of this, the, this season is going to go for the Cardinals uh, and this one kicks again, three 30 on Saturday at Waldo stadium there in, uh, in Kalamazoo, two games left here. Uh, we got central Michigan traveling to Athens in a cross divisional uh, matchup to take on the Bobcats, Ohio, just about a, a touchdown underdog at home. There's currently plus six and a half over under 55 and a half for, uh, for this one. And, uh, Steve, talk about teams that that seemed like they might have figured it out a little bit last week. I would put Ohio in that list. Obviously, uh, three, you know, it was a slow start to the game for them, but they certainly seemed to pick things up once Armani Rogers came in. We've talked about the, the st- struggles defensively for Central Michigan. Obviously, most of that has been through the air, which I'm not sure that the Bobcats would be able to take advantage of that. But defensively, in general, Central Michigan, 
uh, has not been great this year, giving up over 400 yards per game. Uh, what do you see in this one? I see that the Ohio Bobcats basically, and Tim Albin basically said, did you enjoy watching the 2019 Kentucky Wildcats football team with Lynn Bowden? <laughs> well, we're going to try that. It actually worked pretty well against Akron. Armani Rogers came in and he didn't really throw very much. He went one for three with four yards, but Rogers finished with 14 carries, 106 yards and two touchdowns as the wildcat quarterback for Ohio. And I think Ohio is just going to see how far they can take this running down team's throats thing. I mean, 398 rushing yards, three touchdowns on 8.5 yards of carry. That's absurd for an offense that was get, wasn't getting anything going this year. And I think Ohio really found its identity against that rough Akron defense. And I think they're going to be able to carry some of that into Central Michigan. Last year, the Central Michigan-Ohio game was really defined by Demontre Tuggle, who took over a kick for a touchdown in that game and also finished with 109. Uh, no, he finished with 79 rushing yards and a touchdown, but Central Michigan was able to win on a late field goal. Still, I think Tuggle is going to have some success in this game against the Central Michigan defense, and Ohio isn't as dreary of a program as we thought they would be in 2021 after that game. I know it's just Akron, but I think finding your identity is one thing that could take the team a far way. That's why so many teams open up against FCS teams or against opponents like Akron. You need to experiment. You need to find things. I think Ohio was able to finally put themselves in a direction last week. And I'm excited to see where this Armani Rogers Demontre Tuggle, I said 2019 Kentucky football, just a wildcat-looking offense, uh, just a lot of zone reads and a lot of creative running in there and the pistol formation. I'm, I'm excited to see what Ohio does with this, but I do think that Central Michigan will have a bounce-back week, and they'll be able to keep their offense pretty versatile on Ohio and win this game. Yeah, certainly. And it'll be interesting. I know uh, Daniel Richardson listed as questionable right now after hurting his shoulder in the second half. So I I believe it's it's looking like Jacob Sermon might start this game uh, for the Chippewas. Uh, The the Chippewas actually that, you know, the passing offense has has been great for uh, for them thus far this year. They're first in the MAC, 306 yards per game uh, through the air. Ohio, though, uh, third in the MAC, actually in pass defense, 171 yards per game only given up through the air. Now, part of that is because you don't got to throw against them. They're giving up 248 yards a game on, on the ground. So will the Chippewas be able to uh, to expose that? Will Lou Nichols be able to expose that? I mean, obviously, Lou Nichols is a very capable back, but, uh, you know, pat, or throwing the – I can't speak right now. Running the ball for for the Chippewas has been kind of an up and down proposition for them thus far this year. They're currently, you know, eighth in the MAC, just a little over 150 yards per game on the ground. I think that's going to go a long way. And then, obviously, uh, on on the flip side, Central Michigan, as much of they as they've struggled through the air on defense at defending the pass, they're actually first in the Mac in rushing defense. They're only giving up 119 yards per game on the ground. Now you could say the same thing about them that I just said about Ohio. The only reason they're only giving up 119 yards per game on the ground is because most teams have been able to get whatever they want against them through the air. So I think it's going to be that clash of styles. You kind of have strength versus weakness on both sides of this. And it's going to be to me, which team's strength is, is going to be uh, become more prominent. I would think 
that I agree with you. I think Central Michigan has more of an established identity thus far this year than Ohio does. I think Ohio might have started to find that identity a little bit last week, but I still think they're going to need to develop that a little bit more. I'll be really interesting to uh, I'll be really interested to see how uh, Tim Albin kind of mixes uh, Curtis Rourke and uh, and Armani Rogers together this week because re- the offense really did take off last week after Armani Rogers came in as the primary quarterback. So it'll be interesting to see how they blend those two in there and see uh, if they you know you know they still want to utilize Curtis Rourke a little bit as a passer, which I would imagine that they would. But I don't know. We'll have to we'll have to wait and see uh, what happens there. Last game of the week. Uh, Buffalo and Kent State, uh, Buffalo traveling down to uh, Kent to take on the the Golden Flashes at Dick Stadium. Kent State, a a five-and-a-half-point favorite in this one. The total here, the highest of the week in the max, 62-and-a-half. Steve, Kent State with another nice game, or a a nice win that last week against Bowling Green. Obviously, we've talked a lot about Bowling Green's defensive improvements, and I am not discounting that at all. They played another great game. Something does seem a little bit off with this Kent State offense thus far this year, though. We've talked about how they've struggled to finish drives when they get into the red zone. Uh, Last week, obviously, held well below their season average through the air and just in general. Uh, The run, the or the run, you know, offensively on running the ball, they're still they've still been very successful with that. But they 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 do they don't seem to have the explosivity that they have had in in previous years. Do, Do you see what I'm seeing or am I maybe overthinking that a little bit? No, I, I completely agree, and that's because the pass game hasn't been at the same level it was in 2020. Dustin Crum through five games has only eclipsed a 200-yard passing mark once. One of those games against VMI, he didn't have to, and he, yeah. he just left at halftime after a really efficient half. But the fact that he wasn't able to attain that in the other games is a little bit of a concern for Kent State's offense, and I think the amount of time he has to throw is really a – defining factor in that because Kent State's offensive line has taken a massive step back this year in those Maryland and Iowa games alone Crum took 12 sacks and he wasn't able to establish his run game now he he faced pressure last week even though he took zero sacks with some of his escapability and he was finally able to establish his own rushing game with 93 yards and a touchdown and with with Crum establishing a rushing game on Bowling Green's defense it makes me think that Kent State is going to be able to run on any team in the MAG. They had 262 rushing yards and three touchdowns in that game. A nice bounce back after struggling performances against Iowa and Maryland. So I think that Kent State's rushing offense is going to figure out a way to get to the top of the FBS in those categories again. I mean, just wait until they play like someone like Akron and they have another 494 yard, seven touchdown output like they had against VMI this year. But passing, it's, it's it's not the same Kent State team, and I think that they have good weapons, but I need to see a little more consistency from the receivers. We had There were, there was one week where Kashawn Abram really went off against Iowa. There was one week against Maryland where Dante Cephas went off. But I want to see a number one receiver in this unit, a go-to target that Dustin Crum can rely on like Isaiah McCoy was last year. And McCoy just seemed like a bailout weapon for Kent State. Anytime Crum was under pressure, he'd throw it up to his area, and you'd see McCoy catching a ball in the corner of the end zone in one-on-one coverage, and I want to see more of that with Kent State this year. And they're, they're just not passing at the same rate as they were last year, and I think that pressure that I mentioned earlier with the offensive line is also causing Crum to be more inefficient because he completed over 69% of his passes in 2019. Last year, he completed about 74% of passes. And this year, he's only down to 58% 
He showed flashes of efficiency in the VMI and Iowa games, but it really hasn't been there in the last two contests. So if Kent State's offensive line can figure out their blocking schemes and improve that, I think Kent State's offense is going to get back to their level. But one interesting thing about this matchup is Kent State is averaging 15 points per game this year against FBS competition. Buffalo is averaging 20 points per game this year against FBS competition. So how's that for the biggest over of the week? Oh yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Yeah, sixty. I, that was going to be one of my comments. Is I, that that feels like too many points for this game, given what we've seen from these two teams this year? I, you know what? Here, the the thing that, despite the struggles of what we've seen from uh, Kent State's offense thus far this year, I think the the one big advantage that they have in this game is is their their rushing offense versus this front seven for Buffalo. Like I've been I've been impressed. I think Buffalo's defense is is much much better than I I thought it was. And the B- Buffalo in general is 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 much better uh than I thought they would be this year. However, they're still 90th in the country in rush defense. They're giving up all, all, just about 170 yards per game on the ground on the ground. On the flip side, Kent State 11th in the country in rushing over 240 rushing yards per game. I mean, Say what you want about the passing game. I agree with you. Uh, Krama has not been quite as efficient as he had been. The offensive line hasn't been quite as good. But this team can still run the ball on anybody. I mean, they ran the ball for 200 yards against Texas A&M in week one. I don't think that, I mean, really the only team that stopped them on the ground has been Iowa, which I don't think anyone's going to run on Iowa this year. So I think that's going to be, to me, I, I was really close to picking Buffalo in this game until I started looking more into that, you know, the, the Kent State rushing offense versus the Buffalo running, you know, rush defense. I think that to me is going to be the, the matchup that's going to decide this game. Everything that you said about the passing offense for, for Kent State, I, I agree with that completely. And I also think Kent State's defense has been greatly improved. And as much as Buffalo is still a good team, they're not the high-powered offense that you'd expect. I mean, 76th in the country in total yards, 97th in uh, in pass yards per game, not even averaging 200 pass yards a game. So I think with this Kent State secondary uh, taking the ball away like they have thus far this year with how many interceptions they've created, I don't see Kyle Van Treese being able to have himself a good game. I do think Buffalo is going to be able to run the ball. And I think both teams are going to be able to run the ball in this game, which is another reason why I think that total is way too high. I see a lot of long drives here with a lot of, you know, running the ball, getting the run established and, you know, long drives, bleeding the clock. Um, I do still think Kent state wins this game, but I, you know, I, I like what I've seen from Buffalo thus far this year, but uh, a tough start to the conference schedule for Buffalo, you get Western Michigan at home and then you got to go to Kent state. It's a tough way to start the conference slate in your, your first year if you're coach Mo linguist. So um, that's the last Mac game for this week. I, that, that's a good one. We got a lot of good matchups in the Mac this week. I love that matchup. I really like the ball state, Western Michigan matchup. I think that'll be a good one. Northern Illinois and Toledo also uh, very intriguing to me. Uh, Steve, as always, we'll close out the show here. Let's take a look at the rest of the slate. There's a lot of great games this weekend. I, I'll got to be honest. Right before we started recording, I just went on to like the ESPN, you know, the schedule for Saturday. I didn't realize how many good games we got this weekend. Obviously, Penn State, Iowa is the highlight, uh, but there's a lot else going on here. What, what do you think? What are you looking at this weekend? Yes. Uh, before I get to the schedule, it, it was really interesting about the over-under thing I was talking about earlier because that Kent State-Buffalo game was 70-41 to 41 last year. That's 111 combined points. But both of those offenses have seemed to lose a huge degree of explosive, 
explosivity. Is that the word? That, 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 yeah, that word's a mouthful. You got it, though. Sure. that That's the word. Buffalo, it's attributed to losing Jarrett Patterson. And then Kent State just isn't really passing at the same rate this year. So I think that's a really interesting thing to note in the game. But the last two Kent State Buffalo games have been pretty crazy. We had the Patterson record with 409 yards and eight touchdowns last year and a 70 to 41 finish. And two years ago, last time they played in Kent, Kent State changed the course of their program that night. On They were basically on the verge of being eliminated from bowl eligibility, came back down from 21 in the fourth quarter alone to win on yeah. a game-winning field goal in regulation. So what a night for Kent State. And the last two games have been nothing but exciting. So I think this is going to be the best MAC game of the week. And I think this one's going to be a pretty close, low-scoring one where Kent State wins. And in other games that I'm looking forward to, my favorite night to watch college football might actually be Friday night. There's nothing better than a Friday night. And it's chill because there's usually just two or three games going on. Yeah. And one of those games this week is Stanford versus Arizona State. Stanford has always been my favorite Pac-12 team to watch. I just like their style of football. And the resiliency Stanford showed last week on that final possession against Oregon when quarterback Tanner McKee took a shot from or, uh, two Oregon defenders on that targeting penalty by Kayvon Thibodeau. And he was out of the game. He looked like he was out cold. And he comes back in that game and throws a game-tying touchdown pass to Elijah Higgins in the end zone. And then wins it in overtime for the Cardinal. Huge win for Stanford. Stanford's kind of a bipolar team. But I'm excited to see if they can get momentum off that win and take down a 4-1 and Arizona State squad that really had their way against UCLA last week with Jaden Daniels and Rashad White just having explosive plays on the Bruins defense. So I really love that late night Pac-12 matchup on Friday. And that's one I'm looking forward to. You got one? Uh, yeah, I think that's a great one. I think, I mean, I look at the the Saturday slate. I mean, there's, there's so much to love here. I, um, I gotta be honest, Steve, I I'm, I'm usually not a guy that is, um, you know, the, the, the teams at the very top, I feel like are, are not as intriguing to me as, as some teams in the middle of the pack or some of the underdogs, but I got to tell you what, I love watching this Georgia defense. Mm-hmm. They have been unbelievable this year. They travel uh, to Auburn this week to take on uh, Bo Nix and, and the Tigers, obviously Auburn heck of a, a heck of a comeback victory against LSU late Saturday night at death Valley in Baton Rouge, uh, Bo Nix played what I thought might have been the best game he's ever played since he came to Auburn last week, made some unbelievable plays there. I don't see any team having success against this Georgia defense this year, though. So I'm really curious that that's that's one that catches my eye. Um, unfortunately, it's on at the same time as the Penn State Iowa game. So I'm, I'm going to have to I don't know, I'm going to have to get two screens going or something there. But I really like that. That Georgia Auburn game is really intriguing to me. And of course, a Penn State Iowa is the marquee game. It's going to be sixteen to thirteen. I don't know who <laughs> yeah. wins it, but it's going to be really low scoring. There's going to be turnovers. There's going to be sacks. You're going to see punts on punts on punts, and some team's going to win it and stay at number three in the nation, while the loser falls to like number seven or number eight. And it's it's going to be a great low scoring game that comes down to the wire. So that's one I'm looking forward to. And Texas Oklahoma might be the opposite. Oklahoma hasn't been able to score at their normal rate this year, but we've had a lot of high scoring red river rivalries in the past 48 to 40 in 2018 last year, went to four overtimes and that was also in the forties and fifties in that game. So Oklahoma, Texas is usually a pretty close matchup. And I think you can look down the 
look down the results of recent years, and it's almost a one-possession game almost every single year. Even though Oklahoma's always considerable favorites, they've been favored 13 years in a row, that matchup for some reason always delivers a close game and finish. So that's one to look forward to. And I like Texas in the upset in this one. Oklahoma's mm. going to slip up eventually, and we saw what Bijan Robinson can do against TCU last week, where Texas didn't even need to move the ball through the air much because Robinson was dominating the ground so much. So I think Robinson could be one of those dark horse Heisman contenders, and he might be the best running back in college football at the moment. So that's that's another game I'm liking. You got you got another one? You know, another one, uh, a team I briefly mentioned a, a minute ago, and and this, this game is intriguing to me. Uh, not not for not for maybe the typical reasons, but LSU Kentucky. Uh, mm-hmm. I have a question. I have a question for you, Steve, as as a fellow college football junkie. Mm-hmm. Has there ever been a bigger one hit wonder as a head coach than Ed Orgeron? I mean, this is a guy you, you catch lightning in a bottle one year with LSU. Other than that, you look at his 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 coaching record is completely unremarkable. He was a disaster at Ole Miss. Other than his the Joe Burrow years at LSU, you look. I mean, they've completely fallen back to earth. They're going to Kentucky. Kentucky's ranked after a big upset over Florida last week. I I mean, I could legitimately see. You look at LSU's schedule the rest of the year. I mean, they're three and two right now. You go at Kentucky. You got Florida the week after that at Ole Miss at Alabama versus Arkansas. I could, there's an outside chance. I could see them losing all five of those games. I, I don't know. I mean, LSU just seems like they're in a bad spot right now. I could see like one in four or something in there. Yeah. LSU, they, they got pounded by UCLA in the first week. UCLA just ran the ball through them. And also their secondary hasn't looked good. And Derek Stingley's out again. So LSU, that 2019 team, I think you can argue is the greatest college football team of all time. Agreed. Been two teams ever that have gone 15 and 0 as 2018 Clemson in 2019 LSU and LSU beat Clemson. I know it wasn't the same exact Clemson team that they beat, but that Clemson team was pretty similar. And I'm I'm kind of thinking that 2019 LSU might be the greatest college football team of all time. But uh, one hit wonder coaches. Yeah. Coach O had that season. I know he he won a new year six bowl the year before though. And you have to give him credit for that 2018 Fiesta bowl. Other names that I'm thinking of were Brady Hoke. I know he had that 12 and one season at ball state before he left before the bowl game, but he went 11 to his first season in Michigan and never really captured that since I know he's undefeated right now at San Diego state. And that'll be an interesting team to watch going forward this year. One other coach I'm thinking of is Mike McIntyre at Colorado. That's a good one. Entire tenure was just losing seasons one and eight and two and seven and oh and nine finishes in the PAC 12, except that one random 2016 season when he went eight and one in Pac-12 play, made the Pac-12 championship and made the Alamo Bowl with the Buffaloes. So that was an interesting one. And let's see, going down this week's schedule, I'm going to have one more game to offer. And this one's not going to be a ranked game between uh, a marquee matchup. It is still on ESPN at night. And that's TCU versus Texas Tech. Mm. I think they're exciting teams to watch. TCU almost had Texas last week, if not for terrible targeting calls at the beginning of the game and also just costly mistakes. TCU fumbled on a reverse. They muffed a punt. TCU would have won that game. I thought they outplayed Texas. And they have a five-star running back, Zach Evans, who is an excellent runner. I didn't think he got enough touches last game. He only had 15 carries and 113 yards. And if Evans touched the ball more, 
I think TC would have been in great shape, but he was, he's also a tremendous blocker. And this guy has NFL potential when I watch him. I, I'm so, I love watching Zach Evans play football so much just as a blocker and a runner. And I love Max Duggan. I've said before, he's like a mini Jordan Lynch kind of the way he handles his own read. Yeah. And Texas Tech right now is four and one. And the Red Raiders, they've been a pretty good defense. <laughs> they were a pretty good defensive team last week after giving up 70 to Texas. They held West Virginia in check. And I think Texas Tech TCU often produces exciting finishes. 2015 is one that comes to mind. That was a high scoring one where Aaron Green caught the ball in the back of the end zone to preserve number three TCU's undefeated record. So I'm, I'm excited for that Lone Star showdown in the Big 12 between two upper middle of the pack big 12 teams it seems at the moment i thought texas tech was had one of the most impressive wins last week going to morgantown and beating west virginia with a bat with henry columbia coming back you know and as a backup quarterback uh there so a really nice win for matt wells and the red raiders so that that is an interesting one always seem to be exciting games between uh tcu and texas tech my final thought you threw out a couple good uh names there for, as far as one hit wonder coaches the one other guy i had in my mind was gene chizik Mm-hmm. I would add him to that list as well. So uh, there's, so I, perhaps I, I can scale that back a little bit. Coach O does have some competition there. But anyway, uh, that'll wrap it up for us here this week, folks. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. Episode 66 here uh, is in the books. As always, I am Zach Folidor, uh signing off for myself and my co-host, Steve Helwick. Uh, we'll see you back here next Friday, folks. Have a great weekend. Enjoy all the football, and we will talk to you next week.